Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Kevin Kahn about leveraging diversity and inclusion in leading organizations. Kevin Kahn, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you, John. It's great to be here. I'm so excited to have the chance to talk to you today. You're such a uh, renowned uh, individual, um, internationally so, um, and, and you have done so many good things in relation to our core topic today, for today, which is workplace inclusion and diversity and how it, how it relates to leadership. As we get started, I want to share uh, a bit of your bio with our listeners and then give you a chance to, to share anything else about yourself you'd like to share. Kevin Kahn is a multi-award winning professional coach and leader specializing in executive and leadership coaching and is an elected member of the 2020-2021 International Coach Federation Singapore Chapter Executive Committee. With a successful career spanning over 30 years in corporate and multinational organizations, Kevin has developed skills in general management, strategic and business development, product development, branding, marketing, distribution, channel management, customer service, payment solutions, customer experience, and talent development and management. An award-winning leader, Kevin has held management consulting and senior executive management positions in organizations uh, across the world and As the Singapore general manager for HP Enterprise Services, Kevin led a business unit with more than 1,200 employees. Leading and inspiring so many employees sparked his interest in talent and leadership development as a path to ensuring successful business uh, execution and meaningful personal and career development. And I could go on and on about Kevin and all of his wonderful background, uh, many different um, degrees and certifications, Again, Kevin, it is a pleasure to have you joining me on the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Terrific. Thank you, John. It's great to be here. And it's great to be able to share a platform with you to talk about diversity and inclusion, especially around this time where a lot of people are probably locked down in their homes. It's a great opportunity to go through and revisit what does diversity and inclusion mean, especially as hiring around the world in many organizations are put on hold it's a great time to review and have a look at what changes may be necessary and what inclusiveness campaigns or workplace initiatives that can be put in place in order to have a more diverse and inclusive workplace. Yeah, excellent. I absolutely agree. I mean, it's always important, um, but I think given the current situation and all the added stress, anxiety, and economic tensions surrounding the coronavirus. Um, it's a unique time 
And it's like, as you've mentioned, it's a, it's a unique opportunity for us to rethink things um, from a new perspective um, so that we can emerge from this with, with uh, even better plans in place, better initiatives, um, that, so we can leverage the value of diversity and inclusivity and uh, everything that that brings to organizations, all the richness that that brings. Mm -hmm. As we get started, perhaps we should just start with some uh, definitions. Um, so what, how would you uh, define diversity in organizations, inclusivity in organizations? So making the workplace a safe environment for all employees, I think is the key tenant of diversity and inclusion. So for me, that means a place that is free from harassment, from bullying, discrimination, or predators. So every employee should have the right to be heard without fear of retribution in the workplace, and also an equal opportunity to seek advancement within the organization. I think we also need to remember that um, inclusion means everybody in the workplace. Um, so let me give you an example. Sometimes in order to foster team bonding, office parties are arranged. And sometimes that may include a heavy night out, right? But we need to remember that there may be employees that are introverts or people who prioritize family or may have somebody who is not well at home or young infant children at home. So they can't participate in some of these heavy night outs and they may feel excluded from social events held in the workplace. So what other events could we hold that they can participate in that is more inclusive? So those are the type of things that people need to think about. And, and those are just very simple things in, in terms of inclusivity. Yeah, and I, I think it's helpful to recognize that while they're connected concepts, they are separate and individual um, mm -hmm. elements, right? Uh, and so, you know, we can think about all the different types of diversity within an organization. And often we think about, um, you know, some of those outward types of um, uh, characteristics, gender, um, uh, race, ethnicity, so on. Mm -hmm. um, but then there, there, there are other less observable forms of diversity, um, socioeconomic status, mm -hmm. um, religion, beliefs, you know things like that. So we have these different layers of diversity. And so part of the role for um, diversity initiatives within organizations is just to have representation in the workforce, right? right? Um, but then when we, when we talk about inclusivity, we're talking about something beyond just having the people there that represent um, different backgrounds. But now, right. like, you, like you mentioned, we're, we're, we're looking for um, policies, practices, procedures, culture that truly helps everyone feel like they're part of the whole, um, that they're needed, wanted, valued, that they have equal opportunity to participate and contribute right. and so forth. Correct, correct. And, and that's key in order to make sure that everyone in the office can participate if they choose to participate, rather than being, it's like I was excluded from those meetings or those events or having an opportunity in order to participate in a customer event, as an example. Yeah, and so 
with with those definitions in mind, um, do you feel like there are any particular hot topics related to diversity and inclusion? Um, this is something you spend most of your time thinking about and working with leaders on. So, mm -hmm. so what's like the, the latest and greatest related to diversity and inclusion? So um, I actually just recently did a quick pulse survey. Um, and in the pulse survey, I asked the question, is your workplace a diverse and inclusive workplace? Um, it was a very, very simple, very quick uh, pulse survey. 57% of the respondents either said frequently or sometimes that there are still issues with diversity and inclusion in the workplace. The great news is that 43% uh, said no, there wasn't. So it is improving. But in terms of some of the hotter topics, women's rights or women in the workplace is still one of the areas that still need to be worked on. Um, the other areas are minority races, which sometimes also impacts religion as well. Um, the disabled employees is another area that is still a hot topic. Um, LGBT, it's, it's still there. Um, mature workers or age discrimination. And that's becoming more of a hot topic now, especially during the pandemic outbreak, as we're seeing more statistics come out that mature workers, those 55 and above, are finding it more difficult to hold down jobs now. Um, and the new one directly related to uh, the pandemic is remote working. So how do you have an inclusive workforce when the majority of them now are remote working? So that's another area that also needs to be looked at, especially now given the pandemic and, and who knows how long that's going to last. Yeah, and I think about um, forms of intellectual diversity uh, and mm -hmm. inclusion. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so we some of that can come out, you know, through religion, race, yes. ethnicity, um, but it also can be independent of that um, because mm -hmm. we all have different upbringings, right? We we yes. come from different cultural contexts, um, and and we have different worldviews, and so part of this is irrespective of you know all these different categories that sometimes people get lumped into is just recognizing that each individual person comes with their own unique history their own unique background um, and that also means their own unique perspective to contribute to the organizational challenges mm -hmm. that we face um, if we can take advantage of of their their uh, insights related to them um, something else you mentioned in in relation to um, to disability, uh, something that I've been working on in terms of my own academic research is a, a small subset of that, specifically looking at uh, autism in the workplace mm -hmm. and uh, those that are uh, on the spectrum versus neurotypical individuals and um, the types of um, discrimination, whether it's purposeful or not, the types of mm -hmm. discrimination that often happens um, through the hiring process, um, you know, that can uh, disproportionately negatively impact in, impact individuals on the spectrum, um, opportunities for career growth, and those sorts of things. Uh, so there's lots of ways to slice this, right? And lots of different right. ways to look at it. And ultimately, the, the, the foundation of all of this should be, like you said, equal opportunity, 
equal opportunity for everyone, helping everyone feel included and part of the whole that they are able to contribute. Correct. And I think your example of disabled um, discrimination or diversity is, is a good one because there are many organizations around the world um, that are trying to implement um, a disabled policy or disabled workforce um, policy to encourage people with disabilities to actually come into the workplace environment. But sometimes in some countries, there are limitations, um, especially with countries that have many old buildings. Um, you'll see a lot of them in Europe and some parts of China that some of these buildings just don't enable um, disabled access as a very basic example. Um, so even, even if you don't have a disability, you could have had a soccer accident or a football accident, and then you're, you basically can't walk and stuck in a wheelchair for three or four months. That doesn't mean that you can't work. Um, and unfortunately, some offices just cannot provide for that. There's no disabled toilets, um, the pantries, the, where you get your coffee, have get your lunch warmed up and stuff like that. Those are not at a suitable height for disabled workers. Um, and I think the other thing also is, as an example, those people can still have uh, creative thoughts, innovative thoughts. They can still productively contribute to the workplace and to their organization. But unfortunately, the physical aspects of the surroundings just are not able to cater to their specific needs. And I think that's the type of thing that we now need to be more mindful of in terms of physical environment. And you touched on another good point in terms of the candidate pool. So from a HR recruitment process, how do we make sure that we have a wider candidate pool that includes both able and disabled um, and, uh, candidates or prospective employees? And I think these days, if you'll notice that some of the larger organizations um, for example, Facebook, as a part of the online application process in terms of um, job applications, they do ask whether you are a prospective employee with physical disability requirements as a part of the um, uh, application process. And I think that's great um, because that enables people to say, hey, look, we have a wider pool of candidates um, and we're able to make sure that our office environments also cater for these uh, specific employees. Um, other people look at it negatively to say, oh, it's a great way to say you're disabled, so I'm not going to put you on a candidate pool. I think we need to take a positive outlook on this because sometimes you can stream prospective candidates into specific offices which better cater for the disabled physical requirements. Understanding Workspace as it relates to diversity and inclusive inclusivity issues, I think is super important. Mm. Um, and then the, there's the broader culture issues within the organization that are so key. And, and to that point, I'm wondering what you think um, or what you would suggest to leaders um, who, who want to have an inclusive um, organization, but you know maybe they're hitting up against resistance. Um, how and why should leaders take a stand on diversity and inclusion when leading their organizations? I think this is a back to basics 
um, mindset. Um, and, and I really do think it is uh, um, leadership 101. If you take a step back, people are key to any business. So without people, you're not going to have customers because we need employees to serve the customers that we require in order to generate revenues, sales, profits for any organization. So that's the basic tenant. So having a, taking a step back and looking at what are our people policies? How are we making sure that employees are engaged? How are we, how are we making sure that employees are being kept inclusive and having free flow communication? Keeping talent within an organization should be the priority of any leader. Um, unfortunately, some leaders just leave it to the HR department, but that's something that hopefully will change as we get more and more successful leadership permeating through various levels of the organization. Making sure you have a diverse workforce facilitates creativity and innovation. And uh, McKinsey, Credit Suisse, Deloitte, any of the larger organizations will provide statistical data to actually show that when you have a diverse workforce, you are 33 to 35% more likely to have a better performing organization. And those that have diverse boards of directors have more women in the workplace, have 53% more um, profit growth opportunities. So the statistics are there. And a lot of that is because by having a diverse workforce, you get to have creative um, sparks. And you mentioned before that people from different cultures may do things a little bit differently. And by bringing that into your workplace, you get to have different perspectives. And having different perspectives allows you to have creative solutioning, looking at things from different views, looking at how customers buy or how they are able to engage better with customers. Um, I think that's, that's going to be key. And at the bottom line, I know it's, it's a sad fact, but at the end of the day, businesses are here to make profits. But in order to sustain those profits, we need to make sure that basic principles of employees are all taking place so that by being inclusive, that enables um, costs to be reduced so that you have lower employee turnover. And by making sure that you have um, inclusive work practices, you have happier employees so that they have a better employee experience, which then permeates to better customer experience. And as all the research and marketers have told you around the world now, the experience is going to be key to any employee as well as customers so that they remain loyal to the organization and keep on bringing um, business to you and also become raving fans of your organization. Yeah. I think are, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I think there are a couple of examples in terms of how cross-border um, innovation has come into play. The oldest, of course, is the invention of the clothesline or, or the clothes hoist, where you go out and dry your laundry in the backyard. That innovation actually came out from Australia. So the clothes hoist was actually developed in Australia and it's gone around the world. There are other modern day examples. So the Dyson hairdryer. So they've marketed that around the world and that came from Ireland, right? And they've now 
had localization come into play. So they've got a gold-plated version of that hairdryer, and that's going to sell like gangbusters in the Asian market. And Maggie Noodles actually isn't an Asian, um, an Asian creation. That was actually created out of Europe. So there are many, many examples where um, innovation, ideas, creativity have, have started in various countries around the world and have just gone global. And that's, that's the beauty of having creative, um, diverse and inclusive workplaces. Yeah, you do a great job painting the picture of, you know, what the business case for diversity and inclusion is. Uh, clearly, there's so much research to demonstrate, all, you know, everything that you just uh, mentioned, all the, the, the value that is generated through um, diverse and inclusive uh, environments in the workplace. Um, but you alluded to it, you know, that it's, uh, I can't remember exactly what you said, but you basically said, you know, it's kind of a pity that, you know, but the reality is businesses are in it for profit. That's absolutely, absolutely true. And so you, you, you just provided the business case, but let us also not forget the human case, right? That, um, that it's, and it's not a, it's not a trade-off. Like it's not like we can either make profits or we can be an employee centric human driven, uh, organization. Uh, they're not mutually exclusive. We can do both, and we we can uh, leverage diversity and inclusion to uh, enhance the bottom line of the organization and just treat people better and help them feel empowered and engaged in their work and feel meaning and purpose. Um, th those can happen simultaneously, um, and so as as we're striving to be ethical organizations, people-centric organizations. Uh, you know, we, we shouldn't forget that. And, and that actually leads to my next question it is how do we break down, um, how do we break down resistance within organizations and create buy-in? So if I'm a leader and I, you know, and I come to my uh, employees and I say, you know, I, I, I start talking about diversity and inclusion for many of them, their eyes will roll. Um, they're, you know, they'll get glazed look across their face and they just heard those words so many times. And there are these buzzwords and they're kind of sick about hearing about it. Um, and, and whether they have like active resistance or it's just kind of a passive aggressive resistance, the resistance is there. So what can I do as a leader to help the organization, uh, the people within the organization buy into these diversity and inclusion initiatives uh, within the organization? I think um, because it is a business at the end of the day, and all business decisions today, especially given the modern era where we have um, analysis, analytics, um, computer modeling, artificial intelligence, we have all of that available to us. So like every other business decision, a diversity inclusion policy or initiative needs to have data, data, data. That's the best way in order to make informed decisions to have data supporting why we're doing this. Um, I think it's important to look at all the research that has been done by either management consulting firms or human capital research firms or even universities because they will tell you the latest trends that are going on around the world and how some of those trends can be implemented in specific organizations, whether it is for-profit or for non-profit or maybe even governmental. Um, so that's, that's one aspect. 
The other one is just like just being practical. I've walked into many meetings where there are eight to 10 men and one woman sitting in that meeting. That's just being practical, right? Yeah. And like sometimes when you walk into a multinational organization meeting, it's like there are seven to eight Caucasian, one woman, and maybe one person of um, Indian descent. That's not really diverse, right? So just having a diverse workplace means that it's a workplace where everyone doesn't look the same. So these are just some of the practical things. But the other thing also is just asking the questions of your HR team. It's like, what's the statistics of our candidate pool? What is the percentage that is um, single? What is the percentage that is um, families? What is the percentage of uh, candidates that are um, of minority races? How many of them have language capabilities? And I think those are some of the basic areas. Of course, we need to stick to privacy uh, laws. Um, as long as we are within the privacy laws, we should be challenging our recruitment teams to say, hey, look, have we cast our net wide enough? Um, I think that, again, we're now in the modern day where a lot of um, recruitment is done online. So it should be easy to get a lot of that research data because everybody, hopefully these days, has a LinkedIn profile. And hopefully everybody would have a profile photo on there so that you can have a look to see, do we have a diverse candidate pool in terms of potential representation in the office? The other thing that most organizations can do from a practical perspective is to involve the employees in some of the policies and decisions and initiatives around diversity and inclusion in the office. Because at the end of the day, it's about um, employee engagement or the employee experience. And by having them in, be involved in terms of deciding how we can make inclusiveness as a part of the, the way that we work, as a part of the culture that we are going to move towards. How can we have more policies around having diverse um, workspaces? Um, how can we create workspaces that are equal to both um, disabled employees, but also maybe pregnant uh, working women as well? because some of them need rails because sometimes they feel heavy and sometimes they may need nursing areas. And that's another basic area. It's like, even if you don't have the office environment that is suitable for disabled workers, what about pregnant women or nursing mothers? I've seen many a time where women have to go to the women's uh, washrooms and bathrooms in order to express milk. That's not a sanitary environment for working mothers. So even some of the basic things without having to reorganize the structure for disabled workers or ramps and things like that, take a basic step in terms of what the office is offering, even for mothers or employees who um, may have um, illnesses that require rest areas but they can still perform their job, but they may need a moment or two in order to get over whatever they currently have. I'm wondering too, as we're getting close to the end of our time together, um, I'm based in Utah in the US. Uh, you're, you're, you live and work in Singapore. Yes. Uh, I'm wondering, you know, I, I know the challenges that we have with diversity and inclusion here. Um, are there any specific things that you are grappling with on a regular basis in your part of the world? 
So in my part of the world, um, there unfortunately is a very um, big cultural um, slant, I would say, in that it's easy to find people. So if employees are not happy, they can leave because I can always find somebody else. And, and in Asia, we have, as you probably know, two countries with the world's largest population in terms of China and India. So having replacement workers is not such a huge issue, um, which unfortunately permeates through some of the ways some businesses work. It is improving dramatically in being more inclusive, more diverse, um, but we still have some of the older businesses that still have that mindset. I think that's one of the challenges to, to try and educate everybody that we want fairness in the workplace, equality for all, and be open to people with disabilities. Um, the other thing that we're grappling here in the Asia context is some countries uh, still have legislations or regulations um, that prohibits the LGBT movement. Um, so that's another area. So the challenge with that is, is that some people are not whole when they come into the office. So that may be an inhibitor to their creativity because they can't express who they are. They can't bring their authentic selves to work. So that, that may inhibit the way that they work or be able to be creative in the office because their whole self is not there. Um, so that's, that's another area that, that, is, that won't be able to change overnight. Um, it will need a significant period of time just because it is in legislation in some countries. Yeah, and while it, while it can be complicated um, to, to have successful diversity and inclusion initiatives, the overall principles, you know, it's not rocket science. You're mm -hmm. basically treating people with dignity and respect, all right. people. Um, and so even though that we may have limitations and restrictions based on local and, and uh, national context, cultural context, um, there's still a lot leaders can do within their teams to help people feel safe, to help people feel respected and to help people understand that they can be their authentic self. Uh, mm -hmm. And so that's hopefully something that we can, uh, we can help people from across the globe better understand and start to implement within their workforce. Totally agree. And it just comes down to a basic premise, right? Treat other people the way that you would like to be treated. And I think that's, that's a very, very basic thing to remember. Yeah. Well, good. Well, as we finish up, uh, I'm hoping you can just take a minute and share with my listeners how they can get in touch with you, learn a little bit more about um, what you're doing and the, the good work that you do. Sure. Um, people can reach me on my social media platforms on Facebook, uh, Instagram, uh, Twitter. Um, my handle on those platforms are, is Coach Kevin Khan. And on Instagram, I'm oh, sorry, on LinkedIn, it is Kevin Khan SG. So people can get in contact with me on any of those social media platforms. Excellent. And I would encourage my listeners to reach out to Kevin um, as you got a small taste you know, through the discussion today and through the bio that I read, Kevin is an incredibly accomplished um, individual in this space. And uh, it would be great um, uh, for, for your organizations to have the chance to work with him. So I encourage you to, to uh, uh, look him up and, and reach out to, to Kevin uh, to have uh, further discussions. 
Well, Kevin, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk with you. Uh, this is a, an incredibly rich um, subject matter, and so we could go on and on and on. Um, um, perhaps in the future, we can have you back on um, the podcast so we can talk uh, more about other pieces of this issue. Uh, but thank you so much for joining me today, and I hope you have a wonderful week. Thank you, John. It's been wonderful to be here, and keep safe during this pandemic outbreak. Yes, you too, you too. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.